All right, hey, let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we are grateful to be gathered as a church family to sing and celebrate the resurrection, to pray to you now together. And, and, and Father, we just ask for your help as we come to your word. Would you, by your spirit, help us uh, understand what we read? Help us uh, hear your voice and apply these truths to our lives. Uh, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, hey, good morning, and welcome to FBC for Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Yeah, 2023, such a, a joyful day. We're glad that you're with us. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at FBC, and we're just so glad that you are with us. And I want to invite you now to turn with me, if you have a Bible, to the book of Acts chapter 3. Um, if you don't have a Bible, not to worry, we'll have the words on the screen for you. Or if you want to grab a hard copy, there should be one on the seats uh, or underneath the the seats in front of you. You can follow along. Again, we're in the book of Acts chapter 3, and typically uh, on a day like today, Easter will stop like our current sermon series to focus on like an Easter-specific message, or if it's Christmas, a Christmas-specific message. Uh, but you'll see uh, that the next passage we were set to look at in the book of Acts in our sermon series is a, a perfect passage to, to read and look at on Easter Sunday. And so we're just going to stay right along in our sermon series. The same thing happened uh, last year, actually, and the year before that. It's like each year it just seems kind of lined up well so that our preaching series matches perfectly with Easter. It's almost as if there's someone... Uh, you know, put, bringing all this together and orchestrating it. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of fun to see that. Um, if you're unfamiliar, the book of Acts, it's uh, one of the books of the New Testament after the four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we have the book of Acts. And it's this story, uh, the history of the early church. How after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, uh, the followers of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit uh, this great promise of God, and then they move out in the world sharing this good news of Jesus. And so Acts is that story. Uh, chapter 3, verse 11 is where we'll start this morning. Uh, you know, when we see something good or amazing or desirable, there's this human instinct we have to ask a question about it. Again, when we see something good or desirable or beautiful or amazing, the question that we naturally ask is, where did you get that? Right? When we see something that someone has uh, that we want, we say, I want some of what you have. Where did you get it? Where can I find it? Let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, it was a beautiful day in Benicia. Uh, it was a day off for me. A friend of mine from childhood named Mark came to town to visit. We grabbed burritos. We went down to the water near First Street. We sat on a bench overlooking the water. The sky was blue. The hills were green. There was a, a light breeze looking at the beautiful view. We were just suffering for Jesus here in Benicia, California. Uh, and this couple walks by while we were sitting there talking, and they interrupted us. And they said, excuse me, where did you get those burritos? <laughs> True story, because they're, they're grilled chicken, super burritos, just amazing to look at, amazing to taste, just everything wonderful. They saw what we had, and they wanted some of it for themselves. And so we told them, hey, Char's 
or no, not Char's. That's a hot dog place. Uh, Chico's, Chico's Taqueria, the place across from Pizza Pirate. Have you been there? The new, newish place, Chico's Taqueria. In my opinion, best burrito in town. Go check it out if you haven't already. They're not paying me to say this. This isn't some kind of like Easter, you know, church promo thing. They're paying for advertisement. Just truly, it's a wonderful experience. Grilled chicken, super burrito. Check it out. So they, they saw what we had, and they wanted to go and get it for themselves. Uh, it's, it's the same question, the same impulse when you see someone who has a shirt or a dress that you love, or you see someone with a, a nice purse or a water bottle or some tech gadget, right? You're like, where did you get that? Because I want to find it for myself. It's true with small things like that. It's also true with bigger things. Right? When you see someone who has just deep joy or uh, incredible peace or lasting contentment in their life amidst even great difficulties, when you see someone who's experienced maybe great healing in their soul, you say, where, where did you get that? Because I, I want some of that as well. See, we're all looking for the good life. Right? Despite all our differences, we all essentially are longing for the same things, life and uh, abundance and flourishing and well-being. And we're looking where to find it. We see this dynamic going on in the text that we just read, in our story for the morning from chapter 3 of Acts. Look at it again in verse 11. It says, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? Now, a, a little context to the story. We looked at this last week. At the start of chapter 3, there's a man who's miraculously healed. Uh, he was lame from birth, uh, paralyzed. His, his legs didn't develop properly. He couldn't walk and work and live a, a normal life in that sense. And then he's miraculously healed. Peter and John, in the name of Jesus, say, rise up and walk. They lift him up. He begins to walk. Not only walk, he runs. He leaps around. He's, he's celebrating and praising God. And so we see the response of the people around in the temple. Right? They're amazed. They're astonished. And they're wanting to know how this happened. Right? The text told us that they recognized him. This was the man who was begging at the gate. And now his life is radically changed through this encounter with the power of Jesus. He's celebrating. His life is completely transformed, and they want to know, where'd you get that? <laughs> How did that happen? I mean, maybe the crowd that day uh, had some, some needs of their own that they wanted miraculously met. Maybe the crowd that day wanted in on the power or the, the healing or, or some kind of blessing in their lives as well. And so they come around looking at Peter and John and saying, hey, what do you have for us? And look at Peter's response in verse 12. When Peter saw this, said to them, to the crowd, fellow Israelites, why does it surprise you? Why? Here it is. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. They're wondering, where do we look for this life, this abundant life, this healing, this power? And Peter's first response is, hey, 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 
Don't look at us. Why, why are you looking at, at us as if we're the answer here? You're looking for the good life and, and healing. You're looking for joy and life and abundance. Don't look at us. Which, let's be honest, I think that's a pretty refreshing answer. Especially in our day, we all are familiar with people who have the message essentially, oh, you're looking for the good life, all your hopes and dreams to come true. Look no further. I have the answer for you. I have found the way. Look at me. Right? We live in a day of social media and, and social media influencers with their followers, and they want to convince you that, that their products or life hacks or reading their blog or, or embracing their healthy lifestyle is the answer. They have a wonderful plan for your life. And with a lot of them, we're like scratching our heads a little bit, like, I don't know, right? Maybe, I mean, we know Mary Kondo's legit. She seems pretty cool. But the rest of them, we're like, I don't know. Peter and John could have responded that way. Look at us. Miracle? you darn right you just saw a miracle. We're going to have an evening showing later. Get your tickets now. Come check it out. We're going to keep doing this thing. Bam. It could have been seen as some, you know, uh, Greek traveling miracle worker back in the ancient world or a, a holy man. Or, I mean, it was common back then to think that one's like power and influence was connected to your piety or your godliness. And so it would be natural maybe for people to think like these guys have, have got something special going on because of them. I mean, Peter and John, they could have responded with like, yeah, that's right. Look at us bragging about I don't know, their special role in the story, the part that they played, uh, their strong faith. But they say, no. What are you looking at us for? It's not about us. So we say, okay, fair enough. Where should we look then? And he goes on, verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy One and or the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. There's a lot here for us to unpack, and we will, but but notice his point. He says, Don't look at us. Instead, I want you to look up. That's where he directs their attention. Look up. God is doing something here. This is, this is about God at work. He's saying, hey, zoom out a little bit. I want you to see that this healing, this miracle is part of this bigger story that God is telling. And he starts to tell them about who God is and what God has done through the work of Jesus. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, he says, he gets really specific. And actually, there's 12 times in the Bible uh, that God is described this way. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was fairly common. And that description reminds us of, of two things about God. First, God is a God of promise. He's the God of promise. He keeps his promises. This is the God of our fathers at work, Peter says. The same God who was at work in the Old Testament is at work today. The same God is at work in our midst. He has not forgotten about his people or his world or the promises that he has made. 
He's the God of promise. Also, being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob reminds us that God is a personal God. God is not just an idea, uh, an impersonal energy, a force, the universe, whatever you might want to call it. He's saying, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a God who knows your name. He knows your story. And he loves individual people and knows them and invites them to know him as well. So he's saying the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God is at work here. Verse 13, he goes on, he says, he's glorified his servant, Jesus. Saying Jesus is at the center of all of this. And he's quoting, actually, he's referencing, alluding to the the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, especially in the chapters uh, 50s or so, especially 53, it describes this, this servant of God that would come and would suffer for the sins of the people. But that servant would be glorified. In fact, Isaiah in 53 is the only other place in Scripture where these words are used together, glorified and servant. So Peter's point is that this Jesus is the the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He's the the hero of the story. He's the Messiah we've been waiting for. He's the one who would come and, and die for the sins of the world and be raised back to life. He's the Savior. And after his suffering on Good Friday, he would be glorified and and raised to life and given a place of majesty and honor, and he would rule on his throne over all things. So Peter's saying, hey, this Jesus is at the center of the story. That's why Peter, after referencing Jesus as this glorified servant, goes on to say that this Jesus is the author of life. He's the holy one. He's the righteous one. I mean, those were lofty titles and terms, terms in Scripture used to describe God himself. Saying this Jesus stands alone. This is God himself drawing near to us. So, Peter says, hey, don't look at us. You need to look up. This is about what God is doing. That's a real model, I think, for the Christian life, right? That we are to live in such a way that's compelling, that's attractive, that's maybe confusing for people on the outside to look at us and say, why in the world do you do what you do? There should be this love and this joy and this peace that doesn't quite make sense for us. And I know that as Christians, we admittedly do this imperfectly, and, and sometimes we, we fumble our way through life and we get some bad press along the way, but the, the, the hope is that our lives will be marked by love. And there would be this power and this healing and this, this contentment and peace and joy in our lives that people look at and say, there's got to be some sort of explanation here. And that we would be able to say, yeah, look, look up. This is about what God has done in my life. Makes me think of George Mueller. He was a, a pastor back in Bristol, England, in the 1800s uh, of, of German origin originally. And, and one day he felt compelled to start an orphanage. It's a really amazing story. He starts an orphanage for uh, children in his city. And he wrote in his journal a little bit about the motivation for starting this orphanage. He says this, If I, a poor man, simply by prayer and faith, obtained without asking any individual the means for establishing and carrying an orphan house, there would be something which, with the Lord's blessing, might be instrumental in strengthening the faith of the children of God. 
besides being a testimony to the consciences of the unconverted of the reality of God. So he's saying he was motivated by love for vulnerable children, no doubt, but you hear in his journal he's also saying he has this desire that through this life of faith and service, people would look at it and would be made aware of the reality of God. Because his life of love and sacrifice would only make sense, would only be able to be explained through the power of God. He wanted people to be struck with the reality of God, that that orphans under his care would somehow be provided for and have all that they need only by prayer and faith. Without anyone being asked for money, they would see that God is faithful still. It's remarkable. For 60 years, he ran this orphanage, and he never asked anyone for money. And yet, uh, he served and saved over 10,000 children and never asked anyone for a penny. He ran it all on faith. When he was in need, he prayed, and God was faithful, and he miraculously supplied all their needs. There's this great story, uh, example of this. One morning, um, you're not going to believe this. It's, it's so cool. Um, there was no food for breakfast at the orphanage. And Mueller sits down in the dining hall and, and he whispers over to his daughter, let's see what God is about to do. And there's 300 children gathered there with him. And he prays, Lord, thank you for this food we are about to eat. And they sat down to empty plates and cups. And they waited. And suddenly, there was a knock at the door. And it was a local baker who said, you know, I couldn't sleep last night. I just felt like God was telling me that I needed to, to bake bread for the orphanage. And so I got up at 2 a.m. and I've been baking dozens and dozens of loaves. Could you use them? And while the baker was still talking, true story, the milkman walked up. He said, hey, my milk wagon, it broke down around the corner and I'm pretty sure I can fix it, but not with this heavy load on it. Could we lighten the load? And would you be able to drink some of this milk that we have? Incredible, right? George Mueller, he, he wanted people, because of his life of faith and love, to look at it and ask questions. How is this possible? How did this happen? How does the math add up here? And he wanted them to be able to look up for the answer. The answer could only be, God did this. And so he tells the crowd, Peter says, hey, look up. This is about God's work in your midst. But then you notice he casts their attention in another direction. You probably noticed it as we read through. He says, not only look up, he says, you need to look inward. Look at the text. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. And you disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You see what he's saying? Look, look inward. Look at all the yous. Look what you have done. He said, you handed him over and you disowned him before Pilate and you disowned him and wanted a murderer to be released instead. His name was Barabbas. 
And you killed the author of life, he says. He says, you have to look inward because they realize that as they look up upon Jesus and the glory of God, they're immediately aware of this problem and the problem is their own sin. Right? If Jesus really is who he said he is, the Messiah, God in the flesh, the hero and savior of the world, then they're in trouble because this is the man they crucified. This is the man they, they shouted to condemn. This is the man they wanted executed. So they're guilty of serious sin before God. They rebelled against God in the worst way possible by re rejecting and disowning and killing him. But that doesn't just create a problem for, for a few Jews in the first century. This is an issue for the rest of us, too, because Peter will, will emphasize, actually, in another speech, another sermon in the book of Acts, chapter 10, he'll speak to the Gentile leaders in Jerusalem, the non-Jewish leaders, and say that they also condemned and rejected Jesus. So Jew or Gentile, uh, we all are guilty of sin. No group ha has a moral leg to stand on here. The book of Romans make the, makes this quite clear. The gospel of John goes to great lengths to show us how really all of humanity has rejected God in, in different ways in our lives. We've rejected his authority over us and said, no, thank you, I'll live my own way. We want to be our own God, our own king. We want to establish the rules for right and wrong for ourselves. And we've turned from God and ran the opposite direction. And the Bible calls that sin or we're at odds with God. And if we reject the author of life, what then is left for us but death? And so it's impossible to look up at the glory and beauty of God and, and Jesus and not immediately be aware, looking inward uh, with really despair of our own sin and brokenness and our need before a holy God. Seeing a holy God and seeing our own sinful hearts and wondering how that, that, that bridge, that chasm can ever be reunited. And that's where Peter gives us some amazing news. The best news in the history of the world. He says, I want you to look up. I want you to look inward. One more, verse 15, he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus. This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. He tells him to look up, he tells him to look inward, and he tells him to, to look to the risen Jesus. He says, this Jesus, God raised him from the dead. That's why we're here, right? We're celebrating on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. No, God raised him to life, and he is the, the risen Savior, the, the glorified King, our healer. Verse 15 says, I love this line, and we are witnesses of this. It's such a, a key reminder that there are eyewitnesses to the resurrection, Right, men and women who, who saw this and experienced Jesus alive. 
it's not just like, like a wink and like, hey, just trust us on this one. Like, it's not just a, a vision or a dream. It's not just like the essence of Jesus just like floated out into the ether and, and we're experiencing it and it kind of lives on in, in our hearts. And in that sense, he's still alive. No. And he, he rose from the dead bodily and we're witnesses. We saw him. We, we, we heard his voice. We talked with him. We shared meals with him. He showed himself to us. We're witnesses, they say. I mean, so when you read through the New Testament, really, you don't, they don't read like myths or fairy tales or, hey, once upon a time, here's a cute little story. No, it reads like, like real people encountering a, a real Jesus, real events in history that really changed everything. And we have a gift we want to send you home with. Um, hopefully you got one when you came in. It's this book called Is Easter Unbelievable? We got a copy for everyone. There should be some more in the back. If you didn't get one when you came in, again, look at it. It's, it's short. Uh, so you could go home and like read this probably in one sitting and then feel really accomplished. Like I read an entire book today. So there you go. Um, but hey, it, it's for everyone, especially if you're skeptical or if you have doubts about, is this really true, or is this just some made-up story, or is this really historically reliable, I don't know, and if that's you, hey, I get it, I get the, the questions, I get the doubt, like, dead people normally stay dead, right, that, you know, I get it, um, but this is an invitation to, to spend a few minutes exploring for yourself if these claims really could be true, L- looking at, at the history Looking at the evidence and information that we have, believe me, here is no bury your head in the sand and just believe it because pastor said so and you better listen. No, it's, it's an invitation to explore for yourself the evidence and information that we have. We really believe that the best possible explanation by far when you look at the evidence we have is that Jesus really rose from the grave. Now, and if you're still on the fence and skeptical, again, I get it. But realize Jesus is the most influential person in the history of the world. By far. I think Time Magazine uh, did a list of top 100 most influential people in the world. And of course, Jesus was number one. Most influential, most compelling, most polarizing. Right? More has been written and, and said and contemplated about Jesus than anybody else. And so if for no other reason than that, it's, it's worth a couple hours of your time to explore his claims. Could this really all be true? It's worth approaching with an open mind. So Peter's point here, again, he drives it home. Don't look at us. I want you to look up, but realize this man was healed by the power of Jesus. By faith in, his, in the name of Jesus, verse 16 says, This man whom you see and know is made strong. It's Jesus' name and faith that comes through him. You're witnessing the power of the risen Jesus, he says. And realize if Jesus was dead, his name would have no power. Or if he was dead, the story would be over. But no, it's because he's alive and can heal and save, and he's at work even today, not just for this man in chapter three who was miraculously healed, but it's an invitation for you and I today. 
A few verses later, we're not going to have it on the screen, but verse 19, if you have a hard copy, uh, Peter tells the crowd, hey, in response, repent then and turn to God, he says, so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may, may come from the Lord. So notice he's not just pointing the finger of blame and sin and aren't you guys so awful. He's pointing out the reality of sin, but then showing them this amazing invitation that, that God uh, is not done with us, that God invites us, even in our sin, to turn to him and be forgiven and refreshed and washed and given this new life in him. So realize this Sunday, Easter morning, 2023, that, that Jesus is alive and he's able to heal and he's powerful to transform your heart and your life. He knows your name. He knows your story. He knows where you've been. He knows your past. He knows what you're involved in now. He sees your heart. And here's the reality. We all come in and we look at our past and it's a mixed bag, right? All of us. We look back and we're, we're wounded uh, we look back at, at our own sin and, and shame, and, and we look at broken relationships in our lives. Or we look at maybe conversations we wish we could do over, people we've hurt. We look at decisions we wish we could undo. We're, we're weighed down by the reality of life sometimes. But the good news is that even there, no one is too far gone for the power and grace and mercy and love of God. Even still, God loves us and sees us and invites us to experience this healing and power, this good life that we're all looking for, that he alone can offer. But we all have to answer that question. Whether we verbalize it or not, we're all answering the question of where is the good life found? By how we live, we're showing what we believe to be true. And some of us feel like the good life is found in, again, money or wealth or fame or family or reputation or admiration or sex or power or achievements or, or possessions or comfort. But Jesus is showing us, hey, the good life that you are ultimately searching for can only be found in Jesus. And there's an invitation. Turn to him. Look to him. Jesus said he, he's, he's for us. He said he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Right? He didn't come because he's, he's against you and wants to cramp your style and make you really unhappy and, and squeeze out your joy and, and really just make you miserable. He says he came that they might have abundant life. He wants to lead you to, to flourishing, not in some shallow sense if he's going to you know, give you a car and possessions and whatever. Uh, maybe, well, I don't know. But the idea is that he's going to give you this deep, this deep peace and joy and life in your soul. And if you're skeptical, I get it. But there's this invitation to, to give it a try. Maybe you can turn to the Lord now and say, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know if I believe any of this. But God, if you're real, Jesus, if you're alive, I'm open Help me hear your voice. Touch my heart. Help me see. There's hope for us individually. There's also hope for our world. I've shared this quote before, one of my favorite quotes when it comes to Easter from Pastor Tim Keller. 
He says this, I always say to my skeptical, secular friends that, hey, even if they can't believe in the resurrection, they should want it to be true. Even if they can't believe in it or don't believe in it, they should want it to be true. And he goes on to explain, hey, most of them care deeply about justice for the poor and alleviating hunger and disease and caring for the environment and want to love people and have hope for our world. And yet, he says that, that many of them, uh, as secular people, believe that just, hey, the material world is just kind of one big cosmic accident. And the world and everything in it is ultimately going to burn up uh, in the death of the sun one day. And he says that view sacrifices purpose and, and hope and, and meaning in life and for our world. But he says, if the resurrection of Jesus happened, that means there's infinite hope for us and for our world. It means there's infinite reason to pour ourselves out for the needs of the world and others. If the resurrection of Jesus happened, there's hope that God is not done with his world. He's restoring it. He's bringing about new creation, new life. Bringing about true justice for the oppressed, true peace and end of strife and war, true healing for our world that it so desperately needs. And so Peter says to the crowd, and really to us this Easter morning, do you want to know how this man stands before you healed? Do you want to know where to look to find the good life? Don't look at us, he says. He says, look up, realizing God is at work here. Look inward, realizing your own sin and need, and look to the risen Jesus and put your faith in him. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we celebrate your resurrection this morning. We thank you that you are alive, you are powerful and able to heal and transform our lives. You are here. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you invite us, even in our sin, to turn to you, that you want to bless us and refresh us and love us and heal us and reconcile us to relationship with you. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who... Uh, has not put their trust in you, who has never turned from their sin and trusted in you, Jesus, that today would be the day that they say, yes, Lord, I believe. Would you forgive me and heal me and change my heart? Lord Jesus, we worship you and sing to you now. Amen.